we're sending money out of Syracuse and not just for 30 years, for the rest of their life. But when you are told that there's a promise that your generation will be better than the previous generation, and we're seeing that the statistics tells us that that's not the case, it's evidently clear that it only is going to change if we are going to be the ones who fight for our future. So we want to put in context because it's not just a class issue, it's a race issue. We're telling black and brown people and poor people, you don't matter. Welcome to After Futures today. On this episode, we have Keenan Scott II, um, an amazing, amazing writer, just all around good brother. And I'm so super happy to connect with you. Welcome to the show, Keenan. Thank you, brother. How are you? You know, I'm well, as I kind of said to you on the virtual green room, you know, this is the first episode that we're doing uh, where I'm not in the studio. And so I'm happy that that's with you. It's also the first episode that we're doing since I got expanders. So I might have an extra extra lift today and, and I apologize, uh, but but thank you for being here. And I'm, as I said, I'm excited to have you. When we thought about this show and we thought about the kinds of folks we wanted to have, I mean, it's a show about Afrofuturists. It's a show about the future of black people. And um, a part of that future is about our current reality. And um, I really, really, really got a chance to meet you first, um, really in Syracuse as a kind of world premiere of, you know, Thoughts of a Color Man. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about Thoughts of a Color Man for sure. Sure. But as I do in every episode, I wanna I want know what your Genesis story is because I think it's so related to the kind of work that you do and the stories that you tell that I think it's important for folks to get a chance to know who is Keenan Scott II. Great, great. So. Uh... You know, I've definitely had a journey, so I'll try to keep it short. Um, originally born and raised in Queens, New York, um, from uh, Palmer Up Housing Projects. And then, uh, then me and my family, uh, as a kid, now moved down to Southern Maryland um, to a suburb um, called Waldorf outside of DC. Um, and then um, I went off to college um, at Frostburg State University. So I like to tell people I, I've lived in all three environments, which very much so influenced how I see people and how I, how I receive people and how I just receive and uh, break down my environment, right? So, you know, living in the projects, living in the suburbs and living in, you know, the rural kind of mountain area uh, for college, I've, I've lived in all those environments. So that very much so influenced how I kind of see the world because I've, I've been around and lived around many different types of people. And I've been able to kind of log in that information of how they perceive me and how I perceive them and how that relationship kind of balances in between. Um, I've always been an artist. Um, I started off as a visual artist. Um, I love painting and drawing. That was like my first love in life. So since I can remember, I've always been creating and I've always wanted to draw and create stories and create characters and things of that nature. Um, at the age of 13, I started writing poetry, um, like most as a release, as a way to express myself emotionally and things like that. And then by the age of 15, that was my first time actually stepping on stage to perform poetry that I was writing. Um, I failed miserably because <laughs> I had, I had uh, no intention of being a performer. I was very big into sports. I played football, played basketball. Um, and the first time I was on stage, I got drug on stage because the person didn't want to go by themselves. So um, I went, I failed horribly. Um, I told myself I'll never do it again. And then um, that competitive nature kind of kicked in. And I, I told myself I didn't want to 
um, in that new venture like that. So I wanted to go back and redeem myself. So I studied performance poetry and I started reading a lot of poetry for the next several months. I turned 16 by the time I returned to the club. Um, I think I did well when I went back. Um, Everybody received me in a different way. And then I kind of got bit by that bug of of performing and, and, and being in front of a live audience. So I did that for the next several years. And then when I got to college, I, I, I decided to uh, go to study acting because I was told if I wanted, wanted to act for TV and film, which I did, I wanted to act and write uh, for the screen that I had to learn how to formally know how to act. So that's when uh, I decided to study theater with an acting track in college. And then while I was there studying a theater for the first time and studying the craft and going through the the great American plays, they say in the um, American theater canon of works, I didn't see myself represented in those plays. And I had peers in my program, you know, that was from DC, Baltimore. There was a few of us from the inner cities, um, as you could say. And I didn't see myself represented in these dramas that they were calling great. I didn't see my community. I didn't see myself. I didn't see characters that spoke like me, looked like me. So I decided to create what I wasn't seeing or feeling. I, I, I saw a void that that really didn't speak to me, somebody that was new to the form, you know, the art form of theater. And I started to create it. So I wanted to create a piece that if I was on stage doing it, I didn't have to change who I was. I didn't have to change how I spoke, how I walked. I didn't have to change my natural essence, you know, to, to be there. And I, and I wanted to, uh, to feel like um, that I was represented and my community was represented in that same way. And that was the early stages of me writing Thoughts of a Colored Man. After that, after I presented it uh, to uh, my campus, my senior year before I graduated, um, it was a great success. I sold out three shows. Um, in two hours. And that that's what made me realize like, okay, I might have a good story here. I was doing everything kind of out of necessity. I didn't really have a plan for it. You know, I became a director and a producer and an acting coach and all of these things out of necessity just to bring my vision to life. And then once I realized that I loved um, seeing the process and having my hand in the process of bringing it from the page to the stage, then that's when I realized like, you know, this, this could be something I could do, you know, for, for the rest of my life. You know, from the page of the stage ought to be its own show, right? Um, oh, for sure. <laughs> and I can do that one. <laughs> let me get a little bit of the, of the credit for that. I'm kidding. Um, you know, what, what, what I think is fascinating about what you just said is, is the need for us to tell our own stories. Right. And the, the meta culture, the broader both theater and acting and literature often erases us and it's amazing because we contribute so much to the culture right, right. we right. are uh the the fixtures of of culture in america we are the the reason why there's jazz the reason why there's pop hip-hop country r&b etc mm-hmm. and yet we still have to continue to struggle to tell our narratives right. uh, once our art forms become mainstream and as you kind of go from the page to the stage and the biggest stage in the world, right? So mm-hmm. as I said, I got a chance to, to, to see the world premiere of the show in, in Syracuse stage in Syracuse, New York, where I've lived for 17 years. And it was an amazing, amazing production. I mean, Thank everything you. about it. Part of how we connected actually was me talking about just seeing various facets of myself in there. Right. Exactly. I'm also from, from New York City. I'm from the other better borough, the Bronx, which is <laughs> certainly uh, topper 
uh, top notch compared to Queens. No offense. Um, we, we, we can have that debate at another time. <laughs> we'll spend a podcast or two uh, talking about Queens versus the Bronx. All that, sure. all that is Yankees versus the Mets, but I digress. Um, right, right. <laughs> as, 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 as I kind of think about really um, the way that it spoke to me, I, I was in awe of the show and what you were able to capture. And I think a part of it is because of those multiple experiences you had, right. um, but also because there was a void in, in really uh, capturing the experiences and multifaceted experiences of black men. And I don't want to give the audience too much because I want them to actually see the show. Right. But if you could just talk a bit about the production and how, how, how has it changed, if it has, from what it was in Syracuse Stage um, to what it is on Broadway? It's, it's grown a lot. It's actually grown through the whole journey. But, to, you know, to, to give everybody a sense of what the show's about, essentially it's about um, seven Black men in the gentrifying neighborhood of Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, where I've been living for the last five years. And they all come from different socioeconomical backgrounds. They're all ages ranging from 18 years old to my oldest character, 65 years old. And really, you just get to see these men in their environment and how they interact with each other. Um, I do that through the use of, you know, traditional dialogue, prose, some poetry, music and movement. And I kind of like, you know, made a gumbo of that uh, th throughout this piece uh, for these men to be able to interact um, and, and, and really just talk about everyday things that we all experience, you know, right? I, I'm I, um, and not in the, 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 the business of fetishizing um, Black trauma, but I wanted to create a story where you see uh, the full spectrum outside of the monolith that we're normally painted um, for these seven men. And the goal of this piece is to show you or present to you every stereotype that you think you may know and kind of turn those things on its head and really just see um, these seven men's shared experience here in America. As you talk about Brooklyn, um, I'm reminded of this weekend, I was watching an episode of Tiffany Cross and the Cross Connection on MSNBC. And she was talking about gentrification mm -hmm. um, and she had a guest on from uh, Crenshaw in, in Los Angeles and this kind of fight to keep Los Angeles black, right? Like this, this kind of last enclave of uh, black culture, if you will, um, where, where you find very uh, high prices uh, of, of homes being on sale and really pricing black folks out of the community that they sustain for generations and a kind of contrast between long-standing black communities who live there gentrification also takes the face of sometimes black gentrifiers right and you talk to this in the play um and i'm curious to see if that was a, a piece that was captured still yes absolutely that is absolutely still there and I'll also answer your question i'm sorry how it's changed in syracuse really since then um you know I, i've had the pleasure of seeing it uh my piece on its feet for many many years so i've seen it in in front of multiple audiences. Um, like you said, commercially, my world premiere was in Syracuse, which was phenomenal. Um, I fell in love with the community up there. You know, I've always loved the university. I've always been a Syracuse, you know, basketball fan. But being there, and, and I really just fell in love with the community, um, with a lot of individuals like yourself that I was able to meet up there. And it was beautiful to see the piece um, unfold in front of those audiences night after night while I was there. And uh, since then, I've added a few a few scenes um, to kind of like 
help uh, level off some of the characters. So since Syracuse, I've added maybe about three to four different monologues slash scenes to kind of uh, fill up. Um, I don't know if you remember, but of course we have to pay attention. It ran a little short in Syracuse. It was about 10 to 15 minutes short because of the development things we were cutting and tightening up while we was up there for development. So you'll see, you'll see that, um, you know, some scenes may be rearranged, just a little tighter, connected a little more dots, um, you know, lines here and there, nothing drastic. It's still the, it's still the same piece. Um, I would say about 80% you know, since Syracuse, but the other 20% will, you know, be uh, the Broadway polish, I would say, but it still has the same spirit, same essence, and everything that I think that the audience loved and cared about is definitely still there. If anything, I added some some more things in there to kind of just, you know, pack it in a little tighter and just, and just uh, continue to find those little nuances that I also discovered while I was up in Syracuse as well. Yeah, I think, I think the nuance is really where the story is, right? Um, Absolutely. You masterfully captured, as I said, multiple facets and experiences of various Black men. To go back to the kind of piece on gentrification and the way that is a reflection of the kind of current situation that we're experiencing, I'm I'm deeply, deeply concerned, passionate, committed to the shift that's happening in our communities where not only is there a commodification of our stories, but there's this sense of like wanting to make it, as we go big time, wanting to make it reflective of the broader audience. And what I, what I felt deeply about your play is just the centering again of, of Black people. And, and you know, there, there have been a number of kind of analogous uh, productions um, that, that, are, that, that rightfully center Black women um, and that, really necessitate a conversation about the conditions and issues that are that are uh, impacting Black women but as a Black man. And, and um, I, I felt that I could be vulnerable in this play in a way that um, other productions just haven't been able to achieve. I, I felt the ability to see, as I said myself, um, and many other brothers who have seen it, we've talked talked about it, we've had conversations about it. Right. What is it like to kind of be able to get people to, to, to pour yourself out into something, um, to pour the people you've gone to school with, who grew up in communities with you, uh, friends who you've got a chance to know, people who you've lost. How, how have all of those stories helped to shape the characters in an authentic type of way? It, it's, it's exactly that, being able to write about a shared and lived experience. Early on, when I started writing this piece, I didn't consider myself a playwright yet. I was a poet that was trying to write a play. And for me, hearing, you know, I think most men hear this, um, but for Black men, I think it's times 10 about how we don't know how to express ourselves and how we're not emotional. Why? Because, because of the constructs of what we had to go to and the um, oppressive systems that we had to face in this country, we've, we've always had to have a wall. We've always had to be guarded. And most of the time, most of our decisions are tied to pure survival. So therefore, um, at times, I think us as men haven't been able to or allowed to be vulnerable in those ways. So for me, um, being a poet, I came from a world and an environment where all I saw was men and women express themselves emotionally. So for me, that wasn't foreign for me because of the environment I was in as a poet. I saw men pouring out their feelings, you know, telling these great phenomenal stories and 
And I got accustomed to that, you know, granted, um, doing that in my personal life is another discussion, right? But as far as artistically and being able to write and tell these stories and pour my emotions and feelings out, that wasn't foreign to me. So with the origins of this piece, gathering my best poems at the time to start to create this story, it wasn't foreign to be able to be vulnerable and transparent in those ways because that's what I was already doing in my poetry. So with the origin of this piece being my poems, that wasn't hard for me to do. And for me, like I said, I don't think I would have been able to really, really paint the spectrum of these seven men as well as I think I've done if I didn't live in the different environments that I did, as well as the amount of time this piece has taken me. I started writing this piece when I was 19 years old. Mm. Um, I'm 34 now. So I literally grew up with this piece and these characters, like really grew up with them. You know, that's that's 15 going on 16 years that I've lived with these characters. So um, I've learned them better. You know, as I've gotten older and the, the, the nature of my relationships changed with people over the years, um, the relationships between these characters changed. They grew up, you know, um, you know, they, they started off with the early 20s kind of mindset when I was writing it to now I've aged some of the characters. They've grown and, and, and things of that nature. So it's really been a, view, a beautiful process development wise, but I've been able to do that because I've, I've always been an um, introspective person, a person that's always paid attention and listened and I pay attention to detail. And, and I really just was able to put my shared experience and lived experience on the page. Like you said, um, a lot of these characters have my sensibilities, my DNA, but, it, but it, very much so have the, have the DNA of my father, my grandfather, my uncles, my best friends, um, you know, guys that have been in my community. And really, I just I just really wrote what I saw and felt. And, and I wrote those relationships that that I've, I've experienced for the most part into this piece. I, I never wrote this piece to say I want people to learn Black people or learn how to treat us. I just wanted to capture our experience, my experience on stage. And I think that's why it comes across in the in, a, um, in the authentic way that it does, because I didn't write it um, for any other community thinking that you were going to uh, specifically learn about us. That wasn't my intention. Now, does that happen? Sure, because I, 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 I write about um, a shared experience from my lens, but the whole idea was for me to be able to capture myself and, and the people that I knew on the page so I could see myself reflected. And that, and that was really why I did it. Of course, it's grown since then. And, and I see it means so much more than that original idea I had, but that's how I was able to do it. Really just writing about, you know, um, I live shared experience I have with, 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 with other black men. You know, I, I love the entire kind of for us bias approach to this play because it's not just that you are a black playwright, right? It's also the production team. Uh, the folks mm -hmm. who are working with you, the director, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so I, I think there is an important moment where we get to claim our narratives and our stories and center ourselves and be able to uh, advance our vision of who we are. But, and I think, and I, I, I thank you for that. I uh, thank you for giving voice to that and that. and representing us and uh, doing honor and justice to us uh, because it, it very rarely uh, happens that we get a chance to have our stories told in the way that, that I think you did and, and as eloquently as you did. Thank uh, you. Absolutely. And and to switch gears a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it, you go from the page, right, to, mm -hmm. you know, to the stage um, from, from a spoken word artist 
uh, who was, you know, shy to go on stage to like writing on the biggest stage in the world, right? And yeah. Being from New York City, um, and especially from an outer borough, um, looking in and, you know, if Hollywood is Los Angeles, right? Like Broadway is New York, right? 100%. 100%. It is like the, if you want to do theater, it's Broadway. So how, like, just how does that feel to go from where you're from in Queens to being your name in life, right? Like your vision, your story, your production on Broadway. That's huge, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's insane, you know, and it's, and I tell people all the time, you know, even being a New Yorker and being in proximity to Broadway, it's not something you think about. And especially, you know, where I'm from, you don't think about, I'm going to be on Broadway one day. And it's only about 30, 30 to 45 minutes away, depending, you know, it's so close. And I've walked those streets thousands of times. You know, I've got off on Port Authority my whole life. You know what I mean? I've, 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 Ridden, you know, the 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 seven in, you know, the AC, the train, you know, I've 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 seen the billboards, I've seen Times Square change over the years, the billboards get bigger and brighter. And, you know, to now have a marquee on Broadway, it's it's insane. I don't think I've still wrapped my head around it. I know the first thing I said when we had the reveal for the marquee was like, oh, we're on the same street as Lion King, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um you know, we're like three, three theaters up, you know, which is, which is insane. Um, but as a New Yorker, it's, it's, it's cool, you know, because um, even like you said, even though all of us live in and around Broadway, we don't, we don't dream of making it there. And, and, and it's, it's, it's very special and important to me. And I feel I represent um, a certain dem- demographic and community that, that hasn't made it to this point um and 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 not able to make it to this point so really it's 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 very surreal i don't know when it's going to really really feel real to me that that could be open at night you know when i see people actually start walking into the theaters to see the show that could be like my uh realization moment but right now um i feel blessed i'm humbled by it um because i never thought broadway would be in, in in my path you know um I thought I would just be the independent, you know, theater guy putting on his own productions, renting out his own theaters and things of that nature, um, but never envisioned um, this piece, making it to Broadway and being here now and, and, and seeing uh, what, what this piece represents. And like you was alluding to, this is the first piece in Broadway history, um, written, directed, um, entire cast and led produced uh, by black men. Mm-hmm. Um, so not knowing that, um, that was the case and that, and, and not having that trying to be my goal to be the case. And for that to happen, um, is, 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 is truly a monumental, uh, moment for Broadway, um, my community and, and our people. Well, the culture indeed. And, and, you know, the, speaking of the cast, you know, it was a dynamic cast. And I think some of the, some of the cast members are still in this production, but you've gotten some new, uh, cast members, some, some, uh, widely recognized names and some mm-hmm. some names that are up and coming and, and can you talk to to the extent that you feel comfortable just the 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 way that the various uh people have taken the 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 roles that they're they're given and who are the new folks that are on the show amazing question so um we have uh Forrest McClendon returning from our regional run he's been with us this whole commercial process for the last four or five years 
Um, he's he's returning, so you'll be familiar with him um, uh, from the regional run, uh, Forrest. We have uh, six six newcomers to the cast. We we have uh, what we call him the OG, the legend himself, uh, Keith David, um, which was an honor to get him and to be to have him in his cast. Huge, huge. I, I you know, huge. Um, I was just talking to Keith a while ago, and I still can't like you know process it yet. Like, yo, Keith Keith David's gonna be saying my words. Um, it's kind of surreal and cool at the same time because, like most, you know, I've, I've watched his work my whole life, so. Um, it, it's phenomenal to have Keith. Um, we also have Mac Wilds, um, uh, great, phenomenal, um, multi-talented artist. Uh, we have Luke James um, to the stage, which is phenomenal. That brother's doing great work in the shy right now. When um, I think we all loved him when he did a new audition, um, playing Johnny Gill. So um, it's phenomenal to have him. We have Delon Burnside from the star show Pose. Love to have that brother. He's been putting in work for many, many years, even before the TV show. So to have him in the cast is phenomenal. Um, we have Brian Terrell Clark. Um, once again, another multi-talented. Um, actually, all of these guys are multi-talented. It's not even for one of them. All of them are li literally actors and singers and dancers. So they're all multi-talented um, artists. But we have Brian Terrell Clark, um, who, who, who was in Hamilton, who played Marvin Gaye. Um, in the Motown musical, uh, phenomenal, talented brother. Um, and I have one more, Da Vinci, young brother. He's actually the youngest in the cast. Phenomenal, phenomenal brother. Um, you know, play, played in roles uh, uh, in Grownish, in All-American. Um, he's about to be in, the, he is the star in the new show that's coming this fall, BMF, um, another 50 Cent show that he's um, executive producing, which is gonna be um, a phenomenal, phenomenal show. So if you don't know him now, he's going to be a household name coming this fall with his Broadway uh, debut and also um, a star role on TV. So he, he's going to be doing great things, too. So that rounds off the cast. And I couldn't be more excited to have them um, over the years. I've had many, many different actors. And a beautiful thing about this piece is I've been able to work with so many different types of actors. And that's why I wrote this piece in this way. It's not written specifically for any type of black man. It's written for all black men whatever your orientation is, whatever your background is, whatever your social economical history is, it's for all. So I've, you know, and, and look, look, complexion, it's, 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 it's for everything. So to be able to work with so many different types of black men during this process has been amazing. I learned a lot about myself and them and learned more about our shared experience, right? Because like I said, I wrote this play from my New York kind of Maryland perspective, and my experiences, but once I started working with so many actors from all over, you know, from, from, from Florida, North Carolina, Jersey, Pennsylvania, Texas, Cali, you know, really realizing how shared our experience really is. It's different and it's nuanced, but it's definitely a shared experience between us. And I think that's the spiritual connection that we all have. So it's, re it's really been a blessing and to be able to get to this point in Broadway and be so um, captivated and excited by my cast um, it really feels good, you know, because um, that process, as you know, uh, I'm not the only voice at the table, you know, um, it definitely is a team decision and we all come together to do so. But I'm very, very proud and, and, and happy um, with the job that, you know, the Thoughts of a Color Man team and production team did to be able to get these phenomenal actors together to form this ensemble, because that's not easy. You know, I don't have a traditional star star role that most actors would love to have. This is truly an ensemble. All of these seven men are equal for a reason. And I wrote it that way. 
Um, and for, for these men to sign on, to be a part of this great ensemble, it really, you know, it really is a blessing because they, they understand the vision and they understand what this historic moment is. And they all signed up for that. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing. And I think that's what's going to make the energy on stage even better um, for when the audience comes to see it. As we um, kind of sit in this, I really hate, and I said this probably too many times on this show, and people are probably going to be like, stop saying this word. But there's this kind of meta narrative about this kind of racial reckoning. And as we situate ourselves um, in our you know, activist work, whether it's... Um, activist scholarship or activist theater. Um, and I don't want to paint you as activist theater. So forgive me if mm-hmm. I'm like putting mm-hmm. something that isn't there. But in many sense, I kind of feel like black being black is an act of, of activism in some senses and, it is. And, and, and an act of revolution because despite everything that has been designed specifically to exclude us, we have still been able to kind of push back against that. I mean, again, the fact that this is the first production with black men in every every piece of the production uh, and leading every piece of the production is remarkable, but also highly disappointing that it took 2021 for that to happen. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't try to reflect on um, just all the the ways that society um, has continued to implicate black life and you capture um, a lot of our experience. And this is kind of, I think, um, divergence that people have between kind of quote unquote uh, community sanctioned violence. I don't ever, and I will never use the word black on black crime. I think it's absurd and it's inherently biased and problematic. There's crime that's done by people who live in the- Proximity of each other. Right, so right. It, because we live in highly segregated communities, mm-hmm. that will mean that white people are more likely to commit violence if they're gonna commit violence against white people as are black people. And that happens at the same statistical rate. So there's nothing specific to black people that right. makes them more prone to criminality or violence. So we will reject that term altogether. 100%. But there's also on the other side, you know, vapid and kind of expansive um, police violence, right? Police state sanctioned terror. And those two issues often converge when it comes to matters of gentrification, right? Mm-hmm. Matters of displacement, matters of black men's experiences and more increasingly mm-hmm. black women's experiences and certainly black trans women's experiences. Mm-hmm. So, ha- how have you been able to honor those narratives and, and stories uh, while also making this appealing to a broader audience. Because I, I think you said you're unapologetic about trying to make sure you center blackness and, and mm-hmm. make something for us, by us, but you're, you're on center stage in the world's center stage, right? Right. Um, and, and so it, it is also to speak to, whether inadvertently or otherwise, to a broader audience. And how do you, how do you balance those, those stories? You know, that, that, that has definitely been a challenge. Um, what I've realized over the years, we don't have a lot of narratives that paint us in a positive light um, and to truly show the spectrums of who we are. So when that piece does come along, and I think my piece is one of those, um, I've talked to a lot of people, they've always said, oh, well, where's this, where's this? Can you add this in? 
you didn't talk about this or you didn't touch on this. And, and that's a sign number one that, you know, um, something was done right. But also um, I have to remind people that, you know, I can't be the definitive voice. I am one of the voices, but I can't be the definitive voice. And I would love to tell all of these stories. We deserve to have all of these stories um, told in all of our communities represented and is in, in its diversity within our communities to be told as well. But I did the best I could do with uh, covering that spectrum with these seven men. As we know, there's hundreds of thousands of these stories we could tell. Um, and, and so that has been a challenge what to talk about, what not to talk about, um, what's important and what's not. And I had to stop looking at it like that, knowing that um, I couldn't put everything in there, but I could do my best uh, to, to, to make the most layered and complex characters that I could make, hopefully directly or inadvertently touch on a lot of these subjects that, that we all know exist. For me, this is a story for everybody because I wrote a story of humanity and the story of humanity that I wrote is just through the lens of these black men. I think we are one of the few communities, most of the communities outside, if you're not white and male, we have not been made the standard. So when our stories get created, it's, that's not for me. That's, you know, that's a black story or that's an Asian story. That's a Spanish story, or even that's, that's, that's a, a trans story, whatever the case may be, what, whatever that is, we've done that if you're not white and male, not realizing that these stories are for everybody because they're stories of humanity. Because at the core of all of these stories, regardless of what the lens is, touches on love, touches on hate, uh, touches on relationships, some type of ancestral reverence or connection or history, right? When I say ancestor, you know, what, you know, things that came before us and things of that nature, which, which is all things that um, if you're a human being, you can relate to. So it just so happens my story is from the lens of, of, of these Black men, but, but really able to see their humanity. And I was interested in writing a story that wasn't necessarily connected um, to racism or our connection to our white counterparts. I wanted to write us in our environments. We laugh, we love, we have joy, we have hardships, right? We have the good and the bad. I wanted to capture that without having to do that in comparison to racism or discrimination or oppressive systems. Now, will you see the effects of that in my show? Absolutely, because they're in a, a, a gentrified neighborhood. You know, um, they there's a clash of their social economical uh, backgrounds, not to give anything away. There's a clash of that with some of the characters. Um, you start to see the difference of opinions and mindsets between the ages of the character. So all of these things happen, you know, you know, one of my characters is from this, you know, this era, you know, a few of them are, which, you know, there's a few millennials, but then I got one that that's, that's a baby boomer. You know? So their, so their opinions and outlook and mindset is going to be different. And that's the way I was able to tackle um, a lot of these issues and a lot of things that we face um, in this, in, in this piece with having these men um, all exist the way they do. No, I think that's right. Right. There, there's, there's more to us than, are suffering, and I think there's a kind yeah. of um, we're fetishized. 100. Suffering is fetishized, and, and, and it's kind of really deeply pro problematic. As we think about, and, and as we close, um, you know where things are going from here. It's not just that you're on Broadway, right? Like you're also doing other works. So 100. Wrong. You're you're doing stuff for BET and, and for other, telling other stories, right? So this isn't the last that, no. you know, so what, what else are you got cooking up right now? Man, I, 
Listen, I'm an all-around artist. I'm a storyteller, so I have a lot um, I'm working on. Um, it's funny, at, at, this, at this stage, by the time you see something announced, that's already years of work in the making, right? So I'm already working on something that you might see a year from now or two years from now. But like you said, um, I was a part of a phenomenal writer's team um, with Sidra Smith's show, A Love Tale, that just found his home on BET+, Plus, uh, which was amazing. That was three years in the making to get it there. Um, Divine Order, um, it premiered and landed on BET Plus this year while I'm going to Broadway, which is which is uh, uh, phenomenal. And it was great to work on that show. Um, um, if you know that cast as well, that beautiful, beautiful cast. And oh my God, you know, legends upon legends in that show. So it was just amazing just to be able to, to write for them and to be in the same rooms with them and to be on set, you know, while that show is being created. Um, I have uh, a, a few other plays I'm working on. Um, that hopefully will find their home soon, you know, whether that's regionally off Broadway. Um, Broadway is always the dream, but um, hopefully they'll, they'll, they'll land on the stage soon. I'm, and I'm also working on several um, TV projects right now. My goal was always to um, create stories in different mediums. So um, I will always uh, create for the stage, TV and film. So to be able in the last year or two to really um, bridge the gap between what I was doing in theater and now to be able to be telling stories as well in TV and films amazing. So you'll definitely be seeing, um, hopefully, a film or two for me in the future. I have a short film being uh, filmed this summer, um, uh, which is based out of um, Compton. So that, that short story is being filmed, uh, short film, should I say, sorry, is being filmed as we speak. Um, and I have a couple other TV projects that's kind of like in the developmental phase right now. So in, in, in years to come, uh, Lord willing, uh, you'll definitely be seeing a lot more stories from me. You know, I'm reminded because um, you know we got we got to bring up hip hop whenever we're on the show. Oh, I'm, absolutely. Of Drake, when he says, "I really think I like who I'm becoming." There's times that I just do it just to do it, like it's nothing. And I kind of feel like that in this moment talking with you, where um, I see the self actualization, and we're the same age, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, in many senses, um, I I'm not on Broadway and I'm not doing BET Plus, but I, I definitely. Um, I definitely recognize the, the sense of, of despite all of these, where we come from, despite the varied experiences and struggles to get where we are, that, that sense of like, you know, I am, I'm coming to my own and, and, I, and I'm honored to be able to hear uh, and to have that conversation with you. Thank you. And, and to hopefully highlight and, and expand that, that, that for our audience. And for folks so that they do get a chance to, uh, watch the play as it premieres. When is it premiering and, and when, where can they get tickets? Absolutely. So it's premiering October 1st. We run to uh, March 20th. Uh, fingers crossed for um, an extension. But right now, our, our run is from October 1st to March 20th. Um, all tickets and information on the play can be found at thoughtsofacolorman.com. Thank you very much, Keenan. You have been listening to Yousef Abdul-Kadir and Keenan Scott II, uh, who is a playwright, a poet, an all-around just good brother. And I'm super happy to have had you on Afro Futures. Keenan, thank you, brother. Thank you for what you do and keep doing your good work. Well, absolutely, brother. I appreciate you. You've been listening to Afro Futures. This is Yusuf here. Uh, and we look forward to capturing our next episode. Afro Futures is produced by WAER Public Radio with producers Joe Lee and Kevin Kloss.